Welcome to the StockFam Investor Education Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned investor or one of the millions of people entering the market for the first time, StockFam provides the fundamentals to help you grow your wealth. This is a podcast for investors. We give quality companies the chance to tell their stories while providing you with the tools to invest wisely. If you want to get out in front of the herd instead of being a part of it, join us at StockFam. In this episode of the StockFam podcast, Hemi welcomes Yossi Heber and CEO Matt Lurie of Organic Garage for an enlightening discussion regarding the incredible potential of their newly acquired product line, The Future of Cheese. Yossi begins by providing an overview for his extensive past involvement in the dairy marketplace and demonstrates his ability to identify consumer behavior trends in relation to the future of cheese. As an advisor of the future of cheese, Yoshi explains the next steps required in order to bring their product to market and stresses the importance of developing quality products in early stages as larger companies continue to seek the utilization of smaller companies for specialty products, which typically happens through mergers or acquisitions. In regards to their plant-based products, Matt reinforces the importance of the taste profile and explains why he believes the evolution of taste, in addition to the added health benefits, have been a driver for broadening the spectrum of their consumer base. Shareholders and interested investors can look forward to learning more about the various distribution channels the future of cheese has established and the countless number of verticals they are pursuing that will allow them to scale out in the very near future. Without further delay, we welcome Matt, Yossi, and the future of cheese. Let's see. Let's get into a little bit of your background. It's uh, you know pretty extensive. You've worked with some pretty big names in in the industry. So maybe give us a little uh, breakdown of what you've been working on in the past and uh, kind of what you see for the future of plant-based foods. Sure, absolutely. Um, I uh, got my MBA from Wharton Business School, and then I spent about uh, 14 years at Kraft, the food company, as well as Dannon. Kraft at that time was called General Foods largest food company in the United States. Um, I was chief marketing officer for a number of different uh, Danone, Group Danone, who owns Danone companies, uh, both in the United States as well as in Europe as well. In the United States, I invented what is today called the kids yogurt category. There used to be yogurt. That was it. You know, it was either pre-mixed or it was you had to mix it yourself, right? So we segmented that category and created something called kids yogurt, which is today over a billion dollar category in the United States. I started Oxford Hill Partners um, about 13, 14 years ago. We have about 60 clients. We focus on marketing strategy, digital strategy, you know, uh, value proposition, and so on and so forth. About half of our clients have been large Fortune 500 companies, companies like Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Hyundai. And the other half have been small to medium-sized companies or startups. A lot of them have been in food. For example, we recently helped a food company, a dairy company actually, uh, will go from 18 million to 75 million in revenue uh, in under two years. And they were able to then sell the company to private equity. So that was a, a very good experience for everyone for everyone involved. Um, obviously, most of my career has been in dairy, so I know a little bit about that about that marketplace. But um, when I look at the whole sort of the whole world of, of consumer products and what's going on, part of what attracted me really to um, future cheese, uh, first of all, I saw a very talented team, an amazingly talented team of people uh, across all the, all the various functions. 
And it looked to me like they were sort of um, changing the paradigm, you know, for alternative dairy products, uh, which is a very healthy and very dynamic market right now. For example, in plant-based butter in the United States, according to GFI, it's about $275 million market, and it was up 36% year over year, which is, a, which is an incredible number when the whole grocery market is only going up a few percent. To have that is really amazing. Cheese, cheese was up 42% year on year, uh, and yogurt was up 20% year on year because yogurt is already somewhat established sort of in the plant-based uh, plant world. Um, I think also when you look at uh, plant-based beef, of course, you know, the beyonds and, and, and uh, impossible and so on, but they have valuations that are through the roof. You know, valuations that go way beyond what they're really worth, but everybody is anticipating that there's gonna be a big change towards that. The same way we're starting to see that uh, in dairy. So I think in dairy, uh, future cheese is somewhat coming in on the ground floor. There was a little bit of this going on uh, out there in the marketplace. Uh, most of the other products that are out there um, don't necessarily taste that good, or they're made with a lot of very weak ingredients. I mean, when you look at that, in order to get the taste, they've got to put in you know, 20 different ingredients, many of which you can't even pronounce. Yeah. So I think that becomes a problem. And one of the big advantages of future of cheeses, the products only have three or four ingredients, which fulfills what a lot of the young consumers especially want. They want simple ingredients, you know, um, which are sourced from good places and ingredients that, that are good for you. I can tell you that outside of a future of cheese, I'm probably getting more phone calls about the topic of, of this, you know, of a plant-based products. It's very, very high on everybody's list. There's a lot of companies sort of getting into this one way or another. Um, I think what's interesting about the company, in addition to the fact that it has simple ingredients and it really, really tastes great, I think really one of the most unique aspects of it, it was, it's a product that's been created, sort of um, chef-inspired and chef-created. Uh, you've got Afrin Pristine, who is one of the only, they call him a, a maitre de fromage. You know, a maitre de sort of, of I don't know how to, I don't know how to, pronounce, how to, how to say that, what it means. <laughs> it sounds good, you know, it sounds really good. Um, maitre de fromage, he was the first one in Canada, the entire Canada to get that designation from sort of the French gurus of the world, you know, who bestow such a designation on anybody. So it's pretty amazing that he's a young guy. He's the only one in France that carries a lot of in Canada that carries a lot of credibility. Um, in addition, we have a, a chef, Craig Harding, who owns a number of restaurants, who also has a lot of credibility. You know, a big name in food, a big name in restaurants. And between the two of them, they were looking to create really what would be sort of the, um, the best tasting. That was their goal, best tasting and the best for you type of cheese, cream cheese, butter, and so on uh, that one could possibly have. I think that makes, that makes it really a very attractive company for me when I think about the fact that nobody can really say that. And you've got all the other health and taste benefits. Yeah, I think the taste profile for sure is, you know, one of the key aspects. Is that, would you agree in terms of the plant paste, where, where we're headed into the future is really the taste profile. And like you said, healthy, uh, not too many ingredients. We know what we're putting into our bodies. Is that the biggest challenge and what you see with future cheese, how they're kind of changing that a little bit? Um, I do think taste, you know, when you're dealing with food, and again, I come from a lot of food, you, taste is almost a prerequisite, you know, to do anything. If you don't taste good, you know, you're not necessarily going to, you won't be successful. Here you have a product that's for real. I mean, it really, really tastes great. Um, you're almost to the point where you think initially a product like this is going to be for vegans, you know, for people who are into it. But this is a product that tastes so good 
but you can give it to somebody who normally eats butter, who has no interest in, in plant-based. They're going to taste it and say, this is just as good as my regular butter. Why am I even mm-hmm. eating your regular butter, right? If it tastes that good, and that's kind of what we're, what we're, what we're hearing, um, yeah. we've got something that's incredible because not only is, could it potentially be popular uh, amongst vegans and people who want plant-based products, but as the word gets around, this could be something that everybody wants, right? Because it's basically the same thing uh, as a regular butter or regular cream cheese. Yeah, I think Matt, you and I had talked about, you know, yeah. kind of the history of, of taste and uh, a lot of these products, you know, 10 years ago and how they've kind of evolved and, you know, moving from necessity, like just eating this stuff for necessity and now moving into it because, you know, now it's it's healthy and um, there, there are lots of options. Can, can you touch on that a little bit? No, I was going to say, I mean, you you said it. I mean, we, we joked about it, but you go back 10 years and you talk about gluten-free pasta. I mean, gluten-free pasta catered to its hardcore base of people who had to eat it. And the taste profile was horrendous. And the only way to really grow the category is to improve the taste profile and broaden the spectrum of consumers that you're hitting past the core that just have to have it. And that's where taste profile becomes key. So it's no different in plant-based food. You go back 10 years for vegans and vegetarians who were adamant about eating, you know, vegan or vegetarian, um, you know, they had no choice whether the product really tasted that great or, or not. Uh, now, as you look to broaden the consumer base who are customers who are flexitarian, um, um, are, are, are potentially eating plant-based for environmental reasons, uh, other things past just being vegan or, or vegetarian, taste profile becomes paramount. And, and that's the way you grow the category. So taste, uh, and Yossi hit it out of the park. You know, you can't survive in today's market with a product that doesn't taste good. Like those, those days are, are gone, you know? Um, and I, I just, I give the example of gluten-free pasta, you know, 10 years ago, it tasted like bark off a tree. And, and now, you know, uh, I eat gluten-free pasta, not because I have to, but because I like the taste, you know, yeah. same thing with even, I, you know, I'm a cookie guy. I, I'll eat a gluten-free cookie because it's a good cookie, not because it's yeah. gluten-free. Um, and I think that's the way you brought in the base and that's where you grow a category. And that's the way you, you really hit a, a, a broad spectrum of customers. Yeah, and I think just in terms of lactose intolerance, I mean, a lot of people have mild lactose intolerance that just deal with it, right? There's no other options. But, you know, when you, when you have these products that taste just as good as the alternative, uh, you know, it, it's going to help a lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, as, as, as this kind of moves forward. Because, um, you know, I, I know a, a, a few friends, yeah. a few friends have, are mildly lactose intolerant yeah. and you just kind of deal with it because you're used to it. But now, as you know, with future cheese for sure, you know, I've tried the butter. It's fantastic. The cheese, you know, it, it, it's such a great alternative uh, and the taste profile is off, off the hook. So that's that's my thoughts on that. So what are, you'll see, what are the next kind of steps for you in terms of, um, you know, marketing and, and getting this product into more, I guess, households or even distributors or let's talk us through a little bit of the strategy now moving forward. Sure, absolutely. I mean, the strategic plan is focused on, you know, really, um, first of all, creating brand awareness, right? You want people out there in the marketplace to know about the product. Uh, product trial is very important. You know, one of the interesting things is that when you have a product that really, really tastes good, probably the best strategic move is to get it into as many mouths as possible because people just have to try it once and they say, this is, this is incredible. And then they, you give them incentives. Okay. You got to work through the right things to make sure that they have some kind of a reason to go buy it. 
maybe give them a coupon or whatever and get them into the supermarket to, to go buy it. So awareness, of course, is a major strategy. Uh, trial, of course, is a major strategy, as I mentioned, getting more people to go in and buy it. Um, another very important thing is, you know, as we move into the United States, is you want to make sure you develop what I'll call the right sort of fact-based story, you know, for the retailers. You know, facts like, hey, you know, this, this thing sold out in 48 hours. How long was it that? 48 hours it sold out in, in, yeah. in Canada yeah. when it went out there? Yeah. I mean, that's incredible, right? And you look at some of the numbers, or we'll be able to look at some of the numbers as time goes on, that in certain supermarkets, you know, this thing is, is one of the top-selling uh, potential dairy items, maybe. I guess we'll, we'll see um, if we have those kinds of facts. But to the extent that you can demonstrate to a retailer, you know, like a Wegmans, like a Costco, you know, like a Publix, uh, in the United States, the same way you would talk to a Loblaws in, in, in Canada, um, you want to be able to show them this is, a, this is a phenomenal product, why it's phenomenal, why it's great, and why it's different than the competition. Um, you want to be able to show them uh, what kind of programs you've got, how the, how the product has done till now, what kind of marketing programs do you have in place that are going to help consumers you know, pull that product out from their supermarket. So there's going to be a lot of focus on developing the right kind of sales materials right, so that people can go in in the United States into the right chains. Of course, we'll have to be working on the other things to start thinking about what are the right chains? You know, where do you start off uh, in the United States? Um, you know, and, and then you want to be able to go in and, and make a big deal about that. So you get the trial amongst consumers. You start thinking about repeat and cross-sell. You know, the company already has a, an incredible amount of R&D going on where they're working on uh, many, many products that go way beyond just cheese, butter, brie, which are some of the earlier products that are becoming in the marketplace. You know, getting into things like mozzarella, you know, whether it's shredded, whether it's sliced, whatever it might be, there's a whole bunch of, of variations on this going forward. And I believe that, you know, this company, Future of Cheese, is very, very well positioned here because we already know there are already a lot of cues coming from the industry that big companies are on the prowl to be buying smaller companies like this. Um, you know, as I'm sure you know from, from all your experience and from my own experience, you know, big companies are not very nimble. And they're not necessarily good at, okay, we need, we need plant-based, let's just do it. I think they like the fact that there are small companies doing this. Group Danone, for example, where I came from, just to sort of give you a perspective on the opportunity for future of cheese. You know, Group Danone specifically has a stated goal that they want to be selling $5 billion worth of, uh, 5 billion, I should say, euros, 5 billion euros uh, worth of plant-based dairy products by 2025. You know, where are they going to get that from? They're not going to be able to do that on their own. They're going to pick up other smaller companies. For example, I mean, they recently bought, uh, February, you know, they bought um, a company, uh, Follow Your Heart, Earth Island, I think they also call it as well. Um, the the, the, uh, the uh, financials of that were not disclosed. But I'm sure it was up in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Take a guess. Probably up in the hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. It was a big company. Yeah. It's a big company, right? Um, they're very interested in that because that, that, that helps them get to the $5 billion quickly in a way that they can't do it themselves. They, they bought even, even before this whole uh, plant-based thing, um, in, uh, let's see, I think it was 2017, uh, they bought White Wave. You know, White, White Wave makes the non-dairy uh, non drinks. So, um, yeah, the, the brand right, silk. Yeah. Like the silk milk, and they make a lot of non-dairy creamers that everybody uses. Uh, and they paid $12.5 billion, if I'm not mistaken, for that, just a number of years ago, before the whole plant-based thing the whole plant-based craze came around. Um, so I think, you know, it's very, it's very illustrative of what the world is thinking about. If Danone has already stated they want $5 billion in this, and they don't really have the internal resources to properly do it or the speed, the ability to do it quickly, the only way they're going to get the $5 billion 
is by looking at companies around the world um, and seeing who's into this, who's successful, who's got a great tasting product, and who is it that's worth an acquisition that could really bring us up there from the standpoint of getting us to the $5 billion. Yeah, there was even um, uh, uh, just last week, uh, Graham, I'm sure you, you know from the, the public markets, but a company we carry called Soul Cuisine was just bought for, uh, I was like 210 a share. I think it, it was like a $130 million transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Soul Cuisine is in the plant-based, uh, they do plant-based burgers and and uh, like like chicken wing replica uh, kind of products and stuff like that. We've carried them since we've been open. So I've, I've you know, known the brand very well, but that, that acquisition was like 130, 130, 140 million dollar transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's just, it just shows, goes to show, uh, you know, what Yossi's saying is, is and, I, and I've said this before on this program and elsewhere is, is that, you know, there's, there's two main paths for future achieves. I mean, we have a lot of our so-called organic growth here in our domestic market where, where we launched, um, you know, uh, it's been, you know, like three, three weeks. So it's, <laughs> it's great. We're, we're at the ground floor. You know, I, that's what I tell people. It's, it's very exciting, but you know, we have a lot of room in our domestic market our national market and then international being the U S and Europe. Um, and we can continue to fill that out, uh, you, you know, with the existing capacity that we have and looking at select co-packers and stuff. But, um, one of the prime, you know, uh, you know, positives and attributes of, of the transaction and, Yossi touched on the management team and, and I'll touch, you know, just mention Afrim is Afrim is one of the largest importers of specialty cheese in Canada. He, he knows every major uh, dairy producing cheese company uh, in Canada, if not North America, if not the world, and is in regular in contact with them. So if and when that time comes from an M&A perspective, you know, those conversations are that much easier when you have somebody who's speaking with these people, uh, these different companies regularly. Um, and so whether we continue to grow the brand, you know, ourselves, which we have lots of runway for growth and lots of new SKUs and lots of new markets to hit, or, um, like we've touched on, uh, the M and a market is, is just, it's on fire in plant-based. And so companies are looking, uh, for, for companies that have great products. Um, but right up there with that is the management team, you know, and you can't ask for a better expert in their field than Afrim Pristine. And somebody who can uh, cultivate and um, how to utilize items like a Craig Harding um, in terms of you know his chef background. And so for companies who are looking at acquiring other companies, you know the management team is always right up there with product mix and sales and stuff like that. But they want to know who's who's running the company and can these people you know is there intrinsic value there? And there's a ton, a ton mm-hmm. of intrinsic value in the management team of Future Cheese alone. Uh, and that's, you know, not even touching on the excellent products and the market opportunity that exists within plant-based. Yeah, for sure. And I think you guys both kind of touched on an interest, uh, important point is that, you know, these larger companies aren't looking to develop necessarily new products. They're looking to buy good products. They don't, they don't have the resource. They don't want to spend the money. They just want to go out and find, you know, the smaller companies that have developed something that tastes good, that has a good management team, like you said. So that's an important aspect to realize. They, they don't mind spending the money to buy something that's, you know, developed by somebody else because there, there's a lot of risk in them doing it themselves. So they just kind of say, it's no different than, you know, all these tech companies that we see, right? That, you know, these smaller companies develop a technology, they get bought out. It's, it's no different. So okay, I think... It's, it's- big in the beverage world. You look at yeah. Coke. Mm-hmm. Coke learned firsthand with their acquisition of um, 
vitamin water that you got to get in early because the, the, the premium when you wait too long is astronomical. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, they just, they acquired uh, that other, um, uh, what's it called? Under Armour, that uh, protein drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, they acquired majority share and it costs, it's like 6 billion or something. Yeah. So every field is, is getting into that through their venture capital arms of their businesses to access up and coming companies who are in a hot space. Um, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess in terms of you just announced some more distribution channels kind of opened up, uh, you know, even the restaurant lines. Uh, what do you think's the you know most exciting for you uh, of these distribution channels in the near term and possibly long term? I think um, from a scale up perspective, I mean, retailers are going to allow the company to grow very rapidly. So when you're looking at scaling up a CPG product, you know, how many doors are you in? And when you look across, you know, uh, Canada alone, and it, you know, start to touch on the U.S., you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands <clears throat> of doors. So from that perspective, you know, it allows the company to grow very rapidly, which is why, you know, CPGs get different multiples than, you know, when I look at our core business, the grocery retail business, um, it's a much different vertical in terms of how stuff is valued. But one other way to really grow the company and, and not to have to, you know, basically balloon how many doors you're in is looking at select food service opportunities. And, you know, you only need one good operator who has thousands of units of, you know, it could be a, a coffee and donut chain looking for a plant-based butter. It could be a pizza chain looking for cheese. Um, and all you need is one chain who has thousands of units um, to pick up your product and suddenly your business can balloon very quickly. And so, uh, I think any one of those are good avenues. And even if, even if it isn't a big chain, you know, you look at what's happening in the restaurant industry, we can talk about consumer preferences, but that extends to the restaurant industry. You know, customers are going into restaurants wanting a plant-based option, whether that's Mm -hmm. you go into a pizza restaurant. And you, you, you're, you're, we touched on it. You don't even have to be vegan or vegetarian. You can be lactose intolerant. You want a plant-based cheese on your pizza. Um, or you're, you're a you know, fine dining restaurant and you're looking for things for like a cheese plate and stuff, but want a plant-based alternative. I mean, there, there's tons of it. And I, I can just say from ourselves, we're going to have some, some really exciting news releases coming up with some different partnerships with very high profile um, businesses um, that are seeing the value in the items that we have and how they're utilizing them um, in their businesses. And I think, you know, it'll be exciting, uh, you know, I, I tell people to look forward to that because it, it will be coming up. And I just, I've been blown away by some of the people who have tried the product and the feedback we've gotten. So um, I think any one of those verticals allowed the business to scale very rapidly to go from 50 doors to 150 to 550 to 1050 like it, it happens very quickly in those multiples uh once the ball starts rolling and we've we, we touched on this last time you know when, when i was here about you know just we're, we're very methodical in terms of our approach of the scaling of the business we started with a very targeted approach here in our domestic market toronto is is i think the fifth largest city in north america so our goal was hey let's get it out here it's a, it's a very big market Let's pick the retailers who are, are going to be good representatives and good guardians for the brand. Then let's look at expanding that, which we just announced recently with another group of retailers to grow that door count. Um, and then allow us to start looking at, you know, the next steps for, with us would be 
you know, online to, to help get the, the, the products across Canada um, before we're in bricks and mortar retailers across Canada and then a national launch across Canada. And then once we have a good grouping of products, you know, this is where, you know, Yossi and his expertise, you know, we couldn't have picked somebody better to, to be a part of our team here uh, is, you know, an entry weight with, with uh, you know, a small select group of retailers in the U.S. that have or cater to the clientele that is going to be good for this style of product. And, uh, you know, it could be a West Coast retailer, uh, you know, who are primed with kind of the organic and all natural movement. But there's a couple of good retailers. It could be a Whole Foods. It could be a Sprouts. Um, people like that um, that are would be good partners, you know, to grow the brand. Because once you get one or two big boys in the U.S., then things can quickly scale from there. And I think it's a great strategy we developed very early on when we were ready to launch the product. And I think the execution has been great. And I just I want to remind people, you know, I I, I read some of these posts and questions from people who get you know, freaked out when we say we sold out of our batch. And I always remind people, when we say we sold out, it's not we sold out and people didn't get product or we couldn't service them. It's there's two alternatives when you produce a batch. You either sell it all or you don't. <laughs> yeah. And the alternative of not selling it means you're shrinking, which means literally money's going in the garbage. And I think this goes back to uh, having control over where we place the product we have a very intimate relationship with the distributor of the product. Our turn time on doing a batch, I know people have asked this question, how long does it take to make a batch? Butter is a four to five day turn time. So it's very short. For, so we're able to respond very quickly and ensure that there's pr fresh product coming all the time. And so for us, we were excited that we sold out because uh, of our batch and not had to shrink product because most CPG products, and Yossi can speak probably this because I'm sure he's seen it with his clients. They go out, they have to do a minimum run. It could be pallets of product. They take a, a shot in the dark of what they think they need. And if they sold through 60, 70% of it, they're overjoyed, you know, because they don't know how it's going to sell. For us, we didn't incur any shrink. You know, we, we met the demand where our forecasting was correct. We we're able to time our batches for replenishment purposes. But it doesn't mean when we say we sold out is, well, there was retailers asking and we couldn't service them and there was, we were shorting people. That, that is not the case at all. So uh, I just wanted to set that, that record straight. Awesome. You know what else? I'll add one more thing here, which is, which is really fascinating about plant-based dairy. Um, and that is that up until 10 years ago, because I'm, the, I'm a marketing guy, you know, so I follow the demographic trends. But up until 10 years ago, everybody was talking about the baby boomers. You know, that was, that was everything. They were the main target. Today, the main target has really become the millennials. Right? Those are the, that's, that's the darling of the uh, demographic world these days. What's so interesting about plant-based dairy is that you, you can almost start off by saying it definitely has a millennial tilt because it's the younger, the younger groups that are much more interested in plant-based and environment and sustainability and you know, the earth and so on and so forth. That's very important. And of course, health, right, which this provides. But this could also be extraordinarily attractive to baby boomers because yeah. as people get older, they're starting to worry about you know high cholesterol and high blood pressure, and with simple ingredients, not having a lot of those a lot of the bad in them, a lot of bad ingredients, um, not as much fat maybe as regular dairy. Uh, this is a phenomenal alternative. So I think as baby boomers start you know getting into plant-based dairy, which they're already starting to, you can have a huge potential target audience. 
um, both in Canada as well as in the United States, a lot of people who have interest in something like this, as long as it tastes good, right? As long as it tastes good, which is really the key. And here the product really does taste good. So it delivers on that. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, pleasure having you guys on. I'll, I'll leave uh, Yossi to some final thoughts before we head off uh, until the next video. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that um, your future cheese has a huge uh, opportunity. I mean, to really reach up into the, you know, whether it's 100 million, 500 million, tremendous. I mean, because when you think about those dual audiences, a product that really, really tastes great, um, I really think that future cheese is kind of at the cutting edge of the whole uh, plant-based revolution. Mm -hmm. Because of that, it, it gets me very excited. Yeah, and this is coming from someone that's uh, worked with the likes of Dan, Danon, Kraft, and Nestle, you name it. Uh, so, you know, expert in the field, uh, definitely appreciate your insights. And Matt, uh, how about you? Let's get a few final thoughts before we before we go. No, I just want to say, you know, uh, stay tuned. We have we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. We have some product launches. We have some exciting partnerships. Um, the pedals to the metal um, in terms of next steps for the future of cheese. Um, so once again, you know, I, I've said it, you know, here before, I'll say it again, it's a very exciting time. You know, we're, we're, we're at the starting line, so to speak. Um, so it's a great time to, you know, from an investor side, be evaluating, evaluating the business in terms of, uh, the potential growth, because there is just, uh, a, a ton of runway for it. So, uh, so exciting times. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll, uh, be speaking again shortly. I'm, I'm very sure. Thank you for uh, joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this interview. To hear more interviews as well as our other investor education content, please subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at stockfamgroup.com where you will gain full access to all of our free educational platforms. Also, to view the video versions of much of our content, follow us on YouTube at StockFamTV.